Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll look at just the first three verses there, Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer begins that passage with that one word, therefore. And you know what we have to do when we see that word. We've got to find out what it's there for. We know there's a context to what the writer has to say here. And the context is very important. Uh, I had a professor at Washington Bible College many years ago whose favorite saying was, a text without a context is a pretext. He said, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say if you take verses out of context. And his example for that was always Matthew 27, 5, Judas went out and hanged himself. Luke 10, 37, go ye and do likewise. And we laugh at that, but you know, it was back in 1978 in our lifetime, a man by the name of Jim Jones convinced 900 people to commit suicide based on his interpretation of God's word. The context here, what is it here? What is he talking about there for? The context is that great roll call of faith in chapter 11. You know the passage. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, by faith, by faith, all of these great men and women of the Old Testament, by faith, carried out God's will in their lives. And as a side, let me say this here. These men and women, these great heroes and heroines of faith that the writer talks about, were not young people in their prime of life. Some of them were us, senior adults. Abraham was 75 years old when God said, I want you to go down to Canaan and form a new nation. Moses was somewhere around 79 or 80 when God said, you got to go back up to Egypt and lead my people out of slavery. Sarah was what, 90 years old when she finally had that child of promise. And that says nothing at all about Enoch who walked with God when he was 300 or Noah who began building the ark when he was 500. Those guys are approaching the age of Norm Head or, or Roy Dixon or those guys that sang that song. <laughs> By faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob did all these things. And the writer goes on then to say, after talking about those great men and women of faith, therefore, and then he says something very strange, since we are surrounded, that includes you and me, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let that sink in for just a moment. The writer says that those great heroes, those great heroines of faith, that he's just finished talking about, now surround us as we run our race for God. The implication that he's giving is they're not only around us, they're cheering us on as we're running our race. Now think about that for a minute. I often found great comfort and joy in thinking of some of those great saints that I have known in my life that have gone on to be with the Lord now, to, to think about the fact they may be cheering me on now. I, I like to picture my mother 
in that screechy, high-pitched voice that she developed in her last years. Come on, boy, run! You can do it! Run! Or my dad, who in my vision of him now speaks much less harshly than he did when I was a boy growing up. Come on, Jimmy, you can do it, boy. You can do it. Run, son. Or Aunt Bill, Uncle Bill, Aunt Lil, my brother-in-law, Glenn, great saints that I've known. I find comfort in thinking of them cheering me on as I run my race. But Moses? Abraham? Say, come on, Jimmy, you can do it. Come on, Jim, run, run. Don't quit. Get back up. Get after it, boy. Man, that's an encouraging thought to me. He calls them a cloud. Uh, the word for cloud there is the Greek word nephos. It, it simply means a very dense gathering. And so the picture is not of just a few of those saints cheering us on, but this gigantic multitude so thick you can't even begin to imagine it. And they're cheering you and I on as we run our race. He calls them witnesses, the, the witnesses, people who can remember, people who have knowledge, people who have firsthand knowledge and can testify of what they have done and what we're doing. And he says, so since they're cheering us on, therefore, since they surround us now, he gives us just four words of instruction for you and I to follow as we run our race. Look what he says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. He says, get rid of what's holding you back in your run. Lay aside every encumbrance. Many years ago, 1981, a movie came out. You may remember it. Chariots of Fire. Remember that? A story about English runners who were going to run in the Olympic one day. And as they trained for that big day of race, remember what they did? They carried weights. They, they strapped weights to their legs sometimes. And sometimes instead of running on a hard surface, they would go down to the beach and run in the sand. You ever run in the sand? I learned, learned very quickly. You don't make good time in the sand. And the whole idea was if they ran with that kind of opposition, if they ran in the sand, if they carried weights with them, when the day they actually stepped out on the cinder track, they took those weights off and ran, they would run faster than they've ever run before. The writer says, lay it aside, those things that slow you down. Apostasthai, the Greek word is, it says, lay aside every onkos, every weight, there's a better translation of that. It's the word used, that word apostasthai, in Acts chapter 7, when the crowd was getting ready to stone Stephen. Remember what they did? They took their robes off so it wouldn't hold them back and laid them down at Saul's feet. It's the word used by Peter in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And Peter said, lay aside, take off, get rid of Every malice, every guile, every hypocrisy, every envy, every slander, take it off so you can run. James says the same thing in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, lay aside every filthiness and everything that remains of wickedness in your life. Take it off and lay it aside. 
And so the question facing you and I tonight or today as we run our race is, let me ask you this. Are you where you ultimately with finality want to be in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you say, man, I'm sanctified to the nth degree. I, I thought before I asked that, maybe I should ask those who are to stand and then I realized the rest of us would be so embarrassed that I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I ask you, are you where you ultimately want to be in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And then I ask a second question. If not, why not? What's holding you back? Fear? Worry? Pain? Energy level? Other people? That bucket list? Other obligations? Doubt? What's holding you back? Jesus said something on a repeated basis. I like the Gospel of Luke because he says it there time after time after time. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, he says this. In verse 23, he says it in that same chapter. In chapter 14, verse 25, he says it. In chapter 18, verses 23 through 30, he gives a long exhortation on it. He says, don't let anything come between you and me in your walk. Absolutely nothing, he says, can come before him. So I say again, if, if the things of the world are holding you back, the writer says, let it go. Don't say you're not where you want to be and be satisfied with it. Let it go. If things you can't control are holding you back from being who you ultimately want to be in your relationship with Jesus Christ, let it go. Lay them aside. Jesus, after all, you know, laid aside for us. He laid aside all the glories for heaven and came down to do what he did for us. He laid aside the comforts, the joys, the protection. He, he laid aside the protection of 10,000 times 10,000 angels, the scripture tells us. He laid aside his sinless life among men for you and I. Dare we run our race carrying stuff that he discarded for us? He says, not only lay aside those encumbrances, he says, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. See, it's not the big things, the big sins that wrap around my spiritual legs and slow me down anymore. I never wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm a little short on money today. I think I'll get my gun and go out and rob a convenience store and that'll get us through the day. I don't think that way. Or when I'm driving down the street going to the store and, and that sweet, young, shapely blonde up the street wearing shorts, watering her flowers in the front yard, waves and smiles at me. I, I don't have a thought about stopping and just doing a little harmless flirting with her. I, I don't think... When that salesman takes advantage of me or, or that, that telemarketer calls my phone on the no-call list 
and interrupt something I was in the middle of doing. I don't have a thought about, man, I'd like to get my gun and pop him off. You see, it, the, the truth of the matter is I've ingrained in my very being, my inmost being, a sense of biblical right and wrong. Uh, those thoughts don't enter my mind. Well, let me tell you this. Let some friend criticize me for something I said or did. Or let someone say a harsh word to me. Or let someone dear to me fail to live up with the standard to the standard that I've set for all of us to live by. Or maybe worse yet, let a friend who's not present's name come up among the group I'm sharing lunch with or dinner with, and the conversation turned to criticism of that person, harshly, might I add, and suddenly, bingo, I'm right in the middle of it again. The problem is when you allow or excuse even a little bit of that into your life, it gets out of hand. It begins to tangle around your spiritual legs and suddenly you're not running like you were running before. And in fact, your run doesn't look like a run at all. I, in the community I live in, our mailboxes are across the street from our house. And sometime back, I decided I'd go check the mail and as I got out to the curb, I noticed a car coming up the street at a pretty good clip. And I said to myself, just jog over to the mailbox. That's okay. You don't have to wait for him. So I, I ran to the mailbox thinking I was looking like that chariot of fires guy. And that car got close to me and the guy rolled his window down and came to an almost complete stop and looked me all over. I could tell from the expression on his face. He was saying, are you okay, fella? You see, I thought I was doing that. He thought I was having a, 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 some sort of epileptic fit or something. And that's what our run looks like when we allow things, little sins. You see, there's no such thing as a little sin. The writer of Hebrews says, lay it aside. Sin is sin. Thirdly, the writer tells us here, we're to run our race with endurance. Sometimes, particularly at our age, we find it easy to let difficulties slow us down, don't we? Uh, even stop us sometimes in our run. Pain again, energy level, finances, family affairs, uh, family demands. And just as surely as activity strengthens us for more activity, lack of activity strips away and saps away our ability to do more. James says this about it in chapter one of James. He says, be joyful when difficulties come your way. Why? Because they build endurance. Boy, endurance is important. How many times in the last couple of years have the Cowboys gone into the second half or the third quarter ahead only to lose the game? You gotta play the whole four quarters. You gotta run the whole course, folks. 
When difficulties come, they produce endurance. And James says, that's what matures you. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 5. He said, we exult in our tribulations or problems. We rejoice in it. Why? Because it builds endurance. It only makes us stronger for the rest of the race. Endurance, he says, builds character. That's who we want to be. And character, he says, builds hope. That is not a wish that things are going to come true, but an assurance in the depth of our heart because I'm running right now with everything I have for Jesus Christ. The reality of one day standing in his presence forever is just around the corner for me. The point the writer of Hebrews is making here is that rather than let difficulties of life deter us, we should let them propel us to victory. God, thank you for putting this in my life. I'm going to be stronger than I ever was before because of this. I'll have ministries to other people I didn't have before because you allowed me to go through this. Now I understand it. They draw us closer to him. They make us more dependent on him in all things. And the truth of the matter is you and I have the same promise that God gave to Joshua when he entered the promised land, the same one he gave to David later. And I'm finding out in my daily Bible reading now, I see these words appear increasingly at places that I didn't even know they were. Be brave and courageous. Why? So you can win the battle? No, I'm going to be with you. I'll win the battle. You be brave and courageous. Never forget for a moment, folks, Psalm 119, verse 16 has become one of the most important verses in my life. Every day ordained for you is written in his book before it ever comes to be. He is in control. He has a plan. What you're going through is not an accident or coincidence. It's what God has for you. And so we learn to ask in the bad as well as in the good. God, what do you have for me in this? What do you want to teach me? How do you want to use me because I go through this? How can this experience enrich my ministry to other people? Finally, he says this, keep your eyes on the goal. Lay aside every encumbrance, the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus began the story. He ends the story. We begin with him. Stay with him. He says, watch him. Keep your eyes on him. I remember as a child, my daddy tried to teach me a lot of things unsuccessfully. He tried to teach me woodwork. And anybody who knows me knows how handy I am at that now. He taught me how to fish, and, and I was fairly good at that. One of the funniest things was teaching me how to hunt in the coastal swamplands of North Carolina. If you've never been in a swamp, you might not understand this, but I can remember very vividly as if it was yesterday as a little boy, going with my dad in the swamps, and the next thing I know, I'm standing in muck 
and it begins to suck my boots down and after a while I can't move. The only way I can move my feet is to take them out of my boots. And my dad would have to come and rescue me and rescue my boots. And then he would say the same thing every time, every time. What, walk where I walk. Step where I step. Ah. I think Jesus as the author and the, the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, uh, it says the same thing to us. You know, there was a, a fad a few years ago of well, what would Jesus do? I have a better question. What did Jesus do? Because I can look at him in the scriptures and I can tell how to face life. Watch him walk where he walked. We begin with him. He'll carry out what he has for us in our life if we follow him. He began that work on Calvary's cross. He did there what you and I couldn't do. It's what he came for. He finished that work on the cross when he said, it is finished. It's done. Walk, watch him. Walk where he walks. Step where he steps. When faced with fatigue, watch him. When faced with pain, what did he do? Watch him. When faced with opposition, what did he do? Watch him. When faced with his looming death just in front of him, what did he do? Watch him. Did he quit? Did he retire? Did he look for an easier way? No. The word says that knowing what lay in store for him, he set his eyes resolutely on Jerusalem and he went there to die. He set his eyes on the cross, knowing what it held for him. He set his eyes on fulfilling the purpose for which he came. You and I are here for a purpose. God has left us at the age we are for a purpose. Why are you here? What has God in his grace left you for here at the age you have finally reached? I never thought I'd be 80 years old next month. I never thought I'd be this age. God left me here for a purpose. Why are you here? <laughs> to rest? No, that's what eternity is for. Uh, to enjoy the fruit of your labor? No, no. With, with the blessings, the, the reward that we receive in heaven, that's what eternity is for too. A number of years ago, I was doing graduate work in gerontology at University of North Texas. And the topic of my research paper, as I observed senior adults, I wasn't one at the time, the topic of my research paper was the great untapped source of senior adults in the church. Why? Because folks, we have the experience there are literally thousands of years of experience sitting in these pews right now that those younger than us don't have yet. We have the time. And I believe we have the obligation to those who come behind us to show them 
how to be 75 and 85 and 95 years old and still walk for Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he said this of himself. He said, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. He did not say, Timothy, I went nine rounds and I was ahead. I could have done it. I proved I could do it. It's time for me to take time off now. He said, I finished the course. He didn't say, I, I made it around to that last turn. I could see the finish line. I said, I, I proved I can do it and then walked the rest of the way. He said, I finished it. I kept the faith. That same thing that defines those people back in chapter 11 of Hebrews, I kept that. And now he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He said, Jesus is standing at the finish line. He's waiting for me. What I've lived my life for, I will receive when I finish the course. The writer of Hebrews says, don't quit, folks. Don't quit. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Watch him. Keep your eyes on him. And every day that God chooses by his mercy and his grace to leave you here, walk where he walked. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you didn't create things and set this world spinning and go off and leave it for us to figure out ourselves, but that you've told us, you've showed us through your word what we need to do, not just as young people, but as seniors. Help us not only to read your word, not only to listen to your word, but to so digest it and let it become a part of us that we live your word in front of all those around us. That we show those younger than us how to live a life of faith. And we prepare ourselves for that day when we finally, as we've made that last turn and have our eye on the finish line, when we finally cross that finish line and step into your presence. Until then, help us to be who we say we are in the name of Jesus. Amen.